Welcome to Garden Talk with your local growing experts from Bookleaf Gardens, where we help you grow. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Mona Dyer, and this is Garden Talk, brought to you by Bookcliff Gardens. We are going to be talking about garden-related things today, and I do have a special guest in studio with me, Melissa Schreiner, who is the entomologist for CSU Tri-River Extension. Good morning. Good morning, Mona. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me again. So glad, so glad to see you. Happy to have you. We're going to jump right in. You had a busy, busy year. A buggy year. A buggy year. Two really big challenges uh, cropped up. And, uh, boy, you were just, you were running with your hair on fire for months and months and months. Yes, there was there were several situations that really came about this season um, and really came to a head in, in you know, Montrose and Delta County grown sweet corn. And then, of course, we're, we're battling the invasive species, the Japanese beetle here locally in urban Grand Junction. So there's been um, there's been a lot to do, frankly. Right. And, you know, I- any other time, just one of those things would have been plenty to try to deal with. Uh, but both of these things at the same time, just it, it was it was just a phenomenal mess going on. Phenomenal mess. So let's start with um, uh, a, a, a kind of a recap on the Japanese beetle. Um, where yes. are we in the process now? So I'll, I'll start back when it was detected in July of 2022, which was, you know, actually in first a Colorado Department of Agriculture trap um, that was located at Bookcliff Gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bookcliff Gardens does an excellent job working as a certified nursery with the State Department of Agriculture to, to do that um, preventative trapping right, work. Right, monitoring. Monitoring is so so critical when uh, we're moving plant material around. And it was it was then that we, we looked at the past data, really the state looked at Book Cliff Gardens data and said, well, there's never been Japanese beetles here before. And so it, it sparked quite of a bit of an adventure into the surrounding subdivisions, CSU Extension and CDA. Um, set out additional traps in surrounding neighborhoods finding unfortunately breeding populations of Japanese beetle likely to have been brought in from potentially a rogue landscape contractor there's really no way to know this is one of the most mobile insects one that is likely the easiest to transport itself around in a car Mm -hmm. hitching a ride it's a hitchhiker Um, it's it was quite devastating to find that beetle then and to realize it was breeding in, in urban Grand Junction outside of Mesa County's one and very special pest district, the Upper Grand Valley Pest Control District. And some some that have been in the valley a long time realized this beetle had has come over the hill before, if you will, and it landed in downtown Palisade in the early 2000s. And it, it was eradicated. It was that biology was removed successfully from the environment. And that was in part a lot because of that Upper Grand Valley Pest Control District, that taxing district that was in place that allowed uh, for a response, a, lo- a plan in place, emergency funding. What's gone on in Mesa County is when the beetles were found in, in the urban area on private properties, um, it, it's quite a mess. It, it's challenging to get information to all of those private property owners on you know treating their lawns. And Mesa County in a big way found 
funding and budgeted a treatment program and treated over 12,000 properties last season. So excellent, excellent effort. Um, it's been it's been a very hectic, m you know, problem to solve. Multiple agencies involved, um, CSU Extension, Colorado Department of Agriculture, Mesa County, now Grand City of Grand Junction, I believe for the 24 year has some funding in place. So Wonderful. folks are starting to work work together more than ever to, to attempt to solve a really challenging problem, which is removing the Japanese beetle from our urban spaces of Grand Junction before they they fly over into our grape vineyards and our stone fruit orchards. What What is the danger of the Japanese beetle becoming endemic? It's, I mean, it's already stopping imports into other states. New Mexico is, for our green industry, already ha is suffering. We can't export our, our plant material into the state of New Mexico because some of our nursery men and women here that are trying to export that material are within 50 miles of that of this population here in Grand Junction. It's stopping, um, you know, their ability to make money. Um, their livelihood is being directly affected. If this ends up flying over and becoming an, an issue for our agriculturists, our, our grape growers, our peach growers, our cherry growers, um, we have some of the sweetest and most delightful tree fruit in the country. We have a lot to lose. Um, if the, all of a sudden we have to build a new IPM program to manage the invasive Japanese beetle. So IPM is integrated pest management. So it's, it, it is a way for uh, everyone to be able to one step at a time be able to uh, handle uh, a pest. Yeah, from, I mean, you're pretty much in every way, you're, you're physically trying to prevent the pest. You're culturally looking at how it's managed. You're looking at chemical controls. You're, you're throwing everything that you possibly can in a strategic way. It's your approach to managing that pest. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been quite a journey so far. The initial hot zone was roughly from Canyon View Park, let's say 24 Road, to Bookcliff Country Club, uh, roughly G Road to H Road, just, you know, the, the subdivisions there. That's where the initial trapping in 2022 found the critters. And there were, what, 260-some that were trapped in 2022. Yeah, the exact number was 239. 239, okay. Pardon me, I, I misspoke there. How many were caught in 2023? It was just shy of 6,000 beetles. And that, that sounds, and it is, a terrifying number. But there are areas of this country that have taken numbers from, you know, the 20,000s down to very little, to, to manageable populations. It is doable. The challenge in that solution is having everyone, you know, efficiently work together in a timely manner and to react early and respond quickly to this beetle, which we have a great effort beginning towards that. And we have years to go to manage this pest. I think it is just it's so critically important for us to to realize all that's involved in, in managing this pest um, from folks in the field all the way up to, you know, there's conversations at the state level now about how are we going to fund this program? How are we going to help protect Western Colorado tree fruit and, and their green industry? Getting everyone on the same page um, can be a little bit of a challenge. And I uh, really kudos to, to you uh, and, and to the Colorado Department of Ag and Mesa County and, and everyone who is is really working uh, to try to do something. But we have to remember that those pests don't have 
a day planner, and a, they've got a calendar of their own. They're always a few steps ahead of us, it seems. And they have, we're, we're fighting against their life cycle. We are trying to get them at the prime spot in their life cycle. So talk just a bit about that. Yeah, so it, it's, it's a great point, Mona, because the life cycle is what we have to look at when, when we manage a pest. We have to look at what, what products we have, what stage of their life cycle they might be most susceptible to these products. Um, that's why Mesa County, when they, um, they decided to take on this management program, they, they approached CSC Extension, the Department of Ag. We, we teamed up and we, we brainstormed together what would be the best approach. And the county ultimately decided to ask for voluntary compliance and ask for folks to do their due diligence, do the right thing, and allow the county to spray with a product called a celeprin. There are many products for grub control, but that grub stage or the larval stage of the Japanese beetle's life cycle is the best time to attack it with a chemical. And that's the stage of their life when they're feeding pretty much solely on the roots of plants, mainly turf grass. So our lawns, our parks, our, our neighborhoods are full of irrigated Kentucky bluegrass and, and other varieties of grasses that these beetles feed on. It's baby food. It's baby food. And so to treat these lawns was a means to help remove these, these beetles, their eggs and larvae when they come into contact with a product like a celeprin and, and many other products, they, they can't develop further. And so ideally, these, these beetles were treated for, and we hope this year to find out just how much we have really slowed the Japanese beetle down based on those around 1,200 properties that were treated by the county, in addition to you know, partners like the school district and you know, the Grand Junction to treat their parks. And there was a lot of collaboration to, to get that um, together and we did get a successful treatment program out there but we'll be an analyzing just how successful it was this year when we when we trap the area again to see really how many how much the numbers have changed right and the the timing is important because it does take a, a bit of time for that um, a, a celeprin to get down into the soil kind of settle in a little bit and to have it there and ready at the point that those grubs or eggs are uh, about to hit. A am I correct there? Yes. So that yeah, that product would have been applied prior to when an uh, impregnated female Japanese beetle would be potentially laying eggs mm -hmm. in that lawn. So if that lawn had been treated priorly by a homeowner with a product that's granular called GrubX, mm -hmm. Little Cliff Gardens has been supplying that at an amazing deal all season to help their community. Um, or if a licensed commercial applicator applied a celeprin as a spray or other products that are you know, just as efficacious. Um, as long as we're reading the label on products, it's, it's important to, to know that we can use products safely. Um, the product of Celeprin was chosen, it's so highly targeted and selective towards Japanese beetle scarab grub larvae. And um, it does look like that we will be finding out a lot more about how, how well this product performed um, in the 24 season. Right. Now, in addition to the, the original hot zone, um, there have been some additional spaces that have been discovered as having active um, populations. C uh, speak a little to that. Yes, yeah, so the trapping efforts were in dual parts. The CDA hired a full-time employee to trap the area that was known in, in 2022. They layered hundreds of traps into that area very intensively. So so that beetles would be drawn into a center point. Um, 
and really be monitored by the CDA in that site where it was known. But myself and my research associate felt that it was important to try to monitor other areas of Mesa County. So we launched a successful uh, 2023 Citizen Science Japanese Beetle Trapping Program. And a select few folks were, were chosen to host a trap on their private property. And it helped to create a wider spread of traps across the county. And there were there were a few locations, I believe we had something like only 42 beetles caught in some of these other CSU traps outside of our known area. So not tons of beetles were found, but those those nine or so, maybe less locations were, were new to us. We, right. we had not found Japanese beetles in, in the Redlands before a citizen science trap you know, were, was able to found one. There was one found right on the border of the pest district, and I believe it might even be slightly inside the district. So we're working through that district outline, but for the most part, beetles are flying around our valley. They are highly mobile, and yeah, there's a lot of concern for the years to come, and all the collaboration that has started gives gives me a lot of hope that we have we have a good a good opportunity here to to try to find a solution. But I'll tell you, stopping biology is is one of the hardest things to do with wow. an invasive species. It, it does what it does. Well, listen, we are up against our first commercial break. Uh, my special guest this morning is Melissa Schreiner. She's the entomologist for CSU Tri-River Extension. We'll be back after this. Did you know bananas are mildly radioactive? That's right. Bricks, granite countertops, cement, sunlight, and smoke detectors are too. Radiation is all around us and a natural part of life. In fact, some clean energy technologies like nuclear energy, electric vehicles, and wind turbines require mildly radioactive materials. Luckily, the White Mesa Mill safely processes the materials needed for these products with the community, the environment, and you in mind. Learn more at energyfuels.com. If you or a family member no longer qualify for Colorado Medicaid or CHIP, you may be able to buy health coverage through Colorado's official health insurance marketplace, Connect for Health Colorado. You may also qualify for reduced monthly premiums. To learn more about all your health coverage options, visit KeepCOCovered.com. Brought to you by the Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing and the Colorado Broadcasters Association. Can you go to for all your sewing and quilting needs? Well, Owl's Nest Quilters, that's who. Did you know that Owl's Nest Quilters is the largest quilt shop between Denver and Salt Lake City? We have almost 4,000 bolts of high-quality fabric. Don't be fooled by what the big box stores sell as fabric. We have the fabric that will make heirlooms and memories that will last for generations. Come see us at 527 Bogart Lane or online at owlsnestquilters.com. Owl's Nest Quilters, because you love to create. From all of us at ComWest, we wish you a great holiday season and a prosperous new year. We value being your local technology partner for over 20 years, a comprehensive resource throughout your business's growth. Let's overcome and thrive together in 2024. ComWest, one call, one team, one goal. Have a Merry Christmas. ComWest, your communications, our business. Hi, it's Kevin Lamar for Western Slope Auto, a mile and a half west of Mesa Mall, and we have three brand new programs available to you. The first one is we have mobile service. We'll come out to your home or your place of work and do service work. Number two, we do pickup and delivery. We'll come and pick your vehicle up, bring it down, change the oil, and bring it back to you. And now we have a full-fledged rental car company with 25 brand new Toyotas ready to rent to you, your business, or your family members that come in from out of town. Check us out online or come by a mile and a half west of Mesa Mall, and we'll give you all the details. 
I'm William Shatner. I've been around a long time, but I'm truly humbled when I see the real battles our brave, paralyzed veterans have faced defending our freedom and when they come home. I had just come home from serving over in Germany. Next thing I know, it was three weeks later. I was paralyzed. While parachuting with my platoon, my parachute didn't open. I broke my neck. It left me paralyzed for the rest of my life. I was on a routine patrol, and uh, we were in the desert of Kuwait, and the vehicle flipped and landed on top of me, which uh, left me paralyzed from the waist down. Okay, folks, this, this, this is heroism. That's why I'm proud to support paralyzed veterans of America, because they've kept their promise to never leave a fallen soldier behind. A roof over their heads, accessible homes and cars, jobs, benefits. PVA has brought me back to life. Show them their sacrifice hasn't been in vain. Go to pva.org to learn how you can make a difference. Horses can teach us a lot about ourselves. At Grand Valley Equine Assisted Learning Center here at Moon Farm, our horses facilitate learning and healing to those in need. Hi, I'm J.D. Mullet, co-founder of Grand Valley Equine Assisted Learning Center. Our work providing therapies to children and adults of all abilities is made possible by our wonderful volunteers, staff, and expert therapists, and of course, our horses. If you're able to volunteer, you'd like to learn more about the equine assisted therapies we offer, you can visit our website, gvequineassistedlearningcenter.org, or find us on Facebook. NBC Grand Radio shares this message to support our community. Radio you can depend on. Glenn Beck. You've got war. We have the economy. We have the trouble on our streets. Weekday mornings at 7. How does this end? On News Radio 1100, KNZZ. Welcome back to Garden Talk with your host from Bookleaf Gardens. Well, welcome back, everyone. I'm Mona Dyer, and this is Garden Talk. We've got a special guest in studio today, Melissa Schreiner, who is the entomologist for CSU Tri-River Extension. And uh, we've been talking about uh, what a buggy year 2023 has been or was. And uh, so we've gone through uh, what's happening with Japanese beetle. Uh, early January, there are supposed to be some uh, planning sessions going on. And so we'll be giving you additional updates on Japanese beetle here before very long. The other big deal that happened for you, Melissa, this year was worms in sweet corn. Correct. What happened? Uh, just a nightmare. Truly, Mona. Um, working with the sweet corn growers this year was it was a very sad time. So uh, this is a pest we we in multiple crops in Northern America face pressure from. This is a pest that's the only pest by the Entomological Society of America that's given three common names because it's so well known in different cropping systems. The the corn earworm, which we'll be talking about our situation here in Olathe that occurred in 23 today. It's also known as the cotton bullworm in cotton, and it's known as the tomato fruit worm in tomatoes. It's, it's a noctuid moth. These are moths that occur in the millions of numbers. They move around on wind currents from one cropping system to another across our, our country, across our world. They're incredibly challenging to manage. They have many, many generations per year, making it really challenging to protect our crops against egg laying. Once these caterpillars are hatching from their their eggs in, in corn they end up traveling through the silks down into the cob of the corn that's being pollinated by those silks and they get underneath that husk and live happily there unimpacted by any control measures that are, are thrown their way once they're in there they're in and this year in 2023 
we lost control of this pest before we really even had cornfields really entirely up and, and growing. We had lost control at the very beginning of the season, meaning that millions of these moths had been been blown in on the wind. Whether they overwinter locally or not is to be determined, but their range is ever more becoming northward bound. They are breeding in the south and winds take them up to the north. Historically, they have not overwintered in our area, but as, as many of you may know, USDA just published new growing zone data. Um, there's new growing zone maps across the United States now. As of a few weeks ago, they've updated, updated that data showing that we're warmer in a lot of places that we weren't um, since their last round of data. So the, zone, the growing zones have changed. Um, pretty bizarre. So for you know people that want to grow something from a little warmer place, good for you. But that also means that pests that need it a little warmer can also survive. They have an easier time doing so. And that is the pits. That is the pits. It's it is very scary to look at how climate change is going to drive changes of pest management and of course just our entire natural ecosystems our, our natural um, open spaces are going to be changing Re, you know pest distributions will change so will native insects um, based on where they can find suitable habitat so whether or not these corn earworms uh, can overwinter that's that's you know up for debate still but the ones that blew in is there is there a particular area where the wind has to bring them from? Yes, typically it's the Imperial Valley. It's thought possibly northwest Texas where there's corn growing regions. Likely another corn growing region is is my guess. Mm-hmm. I think the Imperial Valley out in California is is a possible bet on mm-hmm. where these moths come from. However, um, my, my father s- studies atmospheric data, and I was talking to him about this, and he said it would be really challenging to look at wind front data to really prove exactly in what year the winds came from. I mean, We're different. We're different. Were they different? Were they the same? And we just had the perfect situation, really the perfect storm created for us. Everything worked out just perfectly for, for that moth in its southern region, and the weather carried it, carried it here flawlessly. And it, we had a very cold spring. If, if folks remember, we had received an incredible amount of moisture the winter beforehand. Growers were having a hard time getting seed into the ground. Things were muddy. We had a very cold June, a very hot July, like a switch. The heat turned on, and with that, once corn was up, it was up fast, and very quickly these moths, likely moving from another host in our area, are coming into corn. I mean, they show up early enough. In my traps, they were here at the end of March, and meaning that until corn is up sometime in consistently in May, if not after, um, they're living on something else moving in t- into our corn crop. Do we have an idea of what that might be? We don't. We have not a clue. It, these are generalist fe- feeders. They're polyphagous. They could be feeding on some of you know the first nectar of the season. It's it's not yet known, unfortunately, what they could be surviving in in terms of a host plant and then maybe moving into corn. But either way, the timing is quite perfect. They they show up. Corn's coming out of the ground, and these. Likely millions of moths. We, our area likely just received a very large number of them this year. So the impact to the corn growers, Delta Montrose, 
What was that impact like for them? Pretty much they were unable to control this pest. The, the spray service you know, did, a, did an amazing and due diligent job attempting to get chemical down over silks. And unfortunately, these moths were just here a little bit before anyone expected them to be. And I think we really missed the window on, on upfront season treatment. Um, however, that's it's out of our control. These moths came in on the on the winds, mm-hmm. and it, this season happened to create the perfect conditions that allowed for them to pretty much interact with every every variety of, of sweet corn. Um, in in the field corn as well, they they use genetics. B, BT is in um, is a type of bacteria that is put into the corn plant, and in field corn, we're seeing some of some of our field corn even that is a GMO is not working very well to to keep these pests out. They evolve so quick, they they reproduce so fast, their gen, their genome changes so quickly. So all the tools we we build, the chemical or the genetic tools that we have to fight these pests, they evolve faster than we can build new tools. So what's what's next for Olathe? So Olathe has has to heal from the season. It's been it's been a it's been a record-breaking terrible year i mean i don't think they've seen a year like like this since possibly the 90s um when pyrethroids were found to be resistant and our our program is looking at pyrethroid resistance you know preliminarily we looked at data this year challenge trial data where we were subjecting corn earworm to high rates of chemical and they are surviving three days of you know the high rate of many of our pyrethroids which is our main class of chemicals used against these larvae um Additionally, a virus that's used, nucleopolyhydrosis virus, is just not acting quite as quickly as it maybe once has. We're not exactly sure why, but our tools are limited now against, against this pest. We need something that acts fast, very quickly, and to put new chemical into production costs millions of dollars, a lot of research. We're, we're running several projects next year, so there is, there is some research on the horizon to hopefully build out more infrastructure for our area. I mean, I think... Our area has produced amazing corn crops. It's known nationally, Olathe sweet corn. And yeah, we have, we have a bit of, of an issue with trying to figure out exactly how we can change our infrastructure in terms of scouting ahead of time and looking at the chemistry and the different spray programs that can be run um, to see how we can intensify our management of this pest in other areas of the country they're they're throwing a tremendous more amount at this pest to manage it to manage it it is just simply such a beast to to get rid of and once again we are working against a life cycle and so getting getting the the firearms out after those critters ahead of schedule you're just and it's a it's a, a multi-phase life cycle so it's a, it's an extreme challenge and it involves you know conversations with individual growers to our packing sheds to chemical reps to csu extension to faculty on main campuses becoming involved at csu now there's a professor out of texas a&m that's just joined the agricultural biology department that has offered to partner with me next season to write a USDA NEFA care grant. And if we are awarded this money, what it will bring in is a student to work in Delta County, Montrose County Sweet Corn, to help build out some of this infrastructure, looking at new varieties of sweet corn that are transgenic, so genetically modified sweet corn that is known to be almost 
entirely resistant to this pest. And looking at other options for farmers, if I mean, there were words thrown around this year that Olathe sweet corn might meet its industry end if we don't find a solution to, th to this pest. And we're not the only ones in the country um, dealing with the corn earworm. However, our, our area of the country received quite quite a terrible dosing of moths this year and, and the tools we have to fight them and the management in place just unfortunately did not cut it. And on top of all of those things that you might have a little bit of say so about, you have wind that blows whatever direction it wants to. Yep, exactly. And these moths are controlled in other areas. They're treated with chemical in other areas. There's intensified systems and then their genetics become stronger against those chemicals and then they're blown into other areas and the whole the whole deal with insecticide resistance and noctuid moths is it's very complicated these moths just reproduce and have so many generations per year their their genetics change so quickly and once you get an insect that is resistant then all of its offspring are also okie dokie with guzzling down whatever it that pesticide is no impact to them whatsoever yeah once they're under that husk they they're safe and sound and consume the corn from from the inside out if you will rotten little devils rotten <laughs> rotten so I just your work is absolutely fascinating to me fascinating tell me how did how did you get interested in entomology to begin with? How what were you the little kid that was on the sidewalk looking at bugs? Not maybe quite in that way. No, I was I was a child that spent a lot of time alone outside. I was the oldest of you know many children. I have I think four or five stepchildren um, in my family, and I, I spent a lot of time collecting rocks and in encountering the natural world and being fascinated by my surroundings and plants really were so fascinating to me at such a young age. Um, there was such a mystery of how they survived and thrived on the planet to me. And it was when I joined a youth farming program that I learned about beekeeping and I was hooked. I, I got the bug, if you will. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, we're getting close to our final commercial break. We're going to come back and explore a little bit more about Bugs and Melissa, both. Uh, we will be back in just a second, and let's take a break. The financial news is alarming. Failing banks, a failing dollar, spiraling national debt, and record inflation. Don't let the upcoming recession destroy your retirement. Protect yourself by investing in gold and silver from Desert Gold Exchange. Desert Gold Exchange is a family-owned company. They keep their overhead low so they can offer you the best price. Call them and they'll beat their competitors' prices. Enhance your wealth with real money. Call Desert Gold Exchange at 888-852-4343 or go to dgegold.com. Hi, this is Tony Perry, formerly of Perry's Collision. And this is Tyson Perry. My dad and I have decided to open a locally-owned, state-of-the-art collision repair facility. From the last 17 years, I've worked in the collision repair industry. My dad and I saw a need for quality repair work and great customer service. That's why we've opened TNT Collision Centers. We hope you never need us, but if you do, come by and see us right on the corner of F Road and Highway 650. TNT Collision Center for Collision Repair. 
picture your dream bathroom sparkling, fresh, and luxurious. Now picture that new bathroom done on time and at a great price. Western Slope Baths offers top-quality bathroom remodeling services, including tub-to-shower conversions, walk-in baths, and vanity and sink upgrades. Whether you're planning a full renovation or just a facelift, Western Slope Baths can help. They're licensed and insured with lifetime warranties on all their work. Get started on your dream bathroom today. Visit westernslopebaths.com. Here's another fast fact from King Pest Solutions. Did you know a mouse can squeeze through an opening the size of a pencil? Mice would love to spend a nice warm winter in your house, but you don't have to let them. King Pest Solutions has you covered. Call them, 970-250-5882, or go to kingpests.com. 1100 KNZZ, dependable weather. Sunny Saturday, Grand Junction 49, Montrose 46. Mostly clear overnight, 24. Sunny Sunday, 50. Hi, I'm Morgan Fairchild, and I am a lifetime lover of animals. I've rescued every pet I've ever had, so I know firsthand that when you adopt a shelter pet and make them a member of your family, it not only enriches you and your family's lives, but that of your new pet's life as well. My friends at American Humane have been helping animals for more than 140 years. You can learn more at AmericanHumane.org. So there's good and bad news, Colorado. The good news is we're wearing our seatbelts more than ever. The bad news, we're still behind the national average. Worse news, Colorado has seen a spike in traffic deaths since 2020. And while cars have gotten safer over the years, the people driving them, they're only human. But the good news is by doing things like wearing seatbelts and driving without distractions or impairments, we can all enjoy the beauty of driving in Colorado. And most importantly, save lives. Learn more at CODOT.gov. A message from NBC Grand Radio, supporting our community. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. The rain is falling in Florida today. Rich Otto with the National Weather Service says a storm causing it is on the move and likely to affect northeastern states in the coming week. South Florida, where it's been windy now for two days along with the rain. They're saying some of the same will continue to happen over the busy holiday weekend. An Israeli strike killed a Palestinian cameraman for the TV network Al Jazeera and wounded its chief Gaza correspondent, as they reported at a school in the south of Gaza today. Former Israeli ambassador to the U.S., Dr. Michael Oren, says Israel may soon have to divert some of its war resources away from Hamas and toward Hezbollah, an even more dangerous terrorist group, he says. Republicans say it appears there is no chance of passing a supplemental funding bill for Israel before Christmas. Senator Tom Cotton says there's nothing more Senate Republicans can do unless Democrats budge on border security. This is SRN News. There's a lot going on, so it's important to stay informed and up to date. Get ready, because here we go. At the top, 30 minutes past and when it breaks. News Radio 1100, KNZZ. Welcome back to Garden Talk with your host from Booklet Gardens. Since 1968, where we help you grow. Well, welcome back, everyone. I'm Mona Dyer, and this is Garden Talk. We've got a special guest in studio this morning, Melissa Schreiner, who's the entomologist for CSU Tri-River Area Extension. We have been talking about how buggy 2023 has been. And, um, you know, Melissa has so much information in her head. I, I just, I, I could listen for hours. Let's talk for for a minute about the research uh, that you're currently in the middle of. 
Yes, thank you for the opportunity to share about what CSU Extension Entomology does. And a, a massive component of our programming is applied research, which is somewhat unique nowadays in extension. Um, we are unique in the facet that we are the only extension entomology program in Colorado. We likely uh, exist still today because of the historic fruit industry out here in Western Colorado, which helped to start the Palisade Insectary um, to support growers. CSU as well felt it was important to support that industry, you know, back in the, the 20s through the 40s when it was booming and we had twice the amount of acreage as we do today. Um, we at CSU Extension Entomology apply our research into different cropping systems where there are insect issues, whether it's an urban space, whether it's a cornfield or an orchard or a vineyard, we are working with stakeholders of, of many kinds to help to solve insect issues. And we, we contract out our research associate to help trap and monitor and map where insects are. We are a part of a, a fairly large program um, I'd like to highlight is the CAPS program, which is the Cooperative Agriculture Pest Survey Program. This is when we, for Western Colorado, we represent all grapes and stone fruits, and our research associate sets out hundreds of traps in vineyards and in stone fruit orchards to monitor for insects that should never arrive here. Insects from Asia or from, from out of the country, exotic diseases and insects can come in on plant material, and by detecting them early and responding quickly, that would be our only chance to fight that invasive biology. So. The CAPS program is it's a fascinating program in tree fruit. We're, we're also working heavily in research involving the corn earworm and doing what we can to build out more infrastructure in, in that system. But overall, our, our program and programming is, is fascinating. We do insect education for youth all the way up to senior citizens. We work with master gardeners. We work with restaurants, hotels, breweries. If someone has an insect issue, I am a, a resource on behalf of the university for someone to come and approach me with their problem. I have advanced skills in insect identification that I learned in graduate school. That's really where I feel I thrive is helping someone solve and provide them an answer to something that might might not be dangerous at all. They may, f may, they may fear it's dangerous. They may fear it's damaging, but often at extension we're able to help provide them an answer to what they really have right like uh the the time that somebody brings in a um let's call it an earth baby mm -hmm. and exactly. and they're totally freaked out and it's you know it's, it's an ugly critter but it's it's no harm no foul exactly just one of our amazing desert insects right. out here in the west just a cool thing Research-wise, you, you mentioned in the last segment about some research that's happening with um, the Olathe sweet corn. That's pretty exciting. It is, and we really hope to secure this funding. It's, it's up in the air on if we'll be getting it. We feel we've written a very strong proposal. This is under the guidance of Dr. Mickey Eubanks, who's an insect ecologist, has an amazing background in, in solving insect issues and vegetable systems. He's recently come up to Colorado State University. We're so lucky to have him on main campus, interested in working in Western Colorado with, with extension. Um, so this grant, if we receive it, would help to build out some scouting infrastructure, looking at new varieties of sweet corn that could potentially help growers, um, doing a taste test. So testing these new varieties, these GMOs, that there's a lot of, a lot of fear around, but you know, 
it's just selective breeding. It's it's an amazing way, new tools to use against this pest that, I mean, if we can't grow corn otherwise, we may as well try to see how these new varieties fare and how they grow in the West, how they taste compared to our heritage varieties. So all that work would be embedded into this grant and would involve a student from main campus. So we, we are really excited and are also disappointed we don't have the full answer and the, sil the silver bullet for Olathe sweet corn farmers but this is a reaction we are reacting to a pest and we are going to have to spend some some time developing out new management approaches and and strategies in the future how, how can we provide more infrastructure to the system to manage such such a devastating pest right and it's a devastating pest for I invaluable crops the people that put their heart and soul into agriculture really they really deserve some some respect and heaven knows all the help that can be offered because it is just they're they're at they're at the mercy of mother nature just absolutely at the mercy of mother nature january things are you know everything is asleep outside the plants are asleep you're not sleeping. There's a whole bunch of stuff that is coming up as far as workshops and, and a number of things in January. Let's run through your list there. Yeah, let's thank you for the opportunity to just share about some of these upcoming events. So I want to share about an amazing event that happens. I mean, most of these events, actually all of them I'll say today, occur every year. They're really an amazing opportunity for folks in the community to engage with updates and conversations with growers, with scientists. Our first event I'll highlight is the Western Colorado Horticulture Society and Vinco show. So this is a trade show, but also they bring in speakers. This occurs in the week of January 17th. Why I've chosen the 17th of the, the conference is there's a Japanese beetle update I'll be giving. The county has been invited. The city of Grand Junction has been invited. And we are, are hoping for, you know, just an opportunity to come together with industry and discuss um, accomplishments and, and, and goals for the future. A second event out of three I'll, I'll share is the Western Colorado Soil Health Food and Farm Forum happening Love down in Montrose, that. a wonderful event. Um, on January 26th, our research associate, Melissa Franklin, the backbone of our program for 20 plus years, is going to be giving a talk on the Japanese beetle. So shout out to her and all the work she does for our program. She's our mapping guru. It's how we are able to provide awesome maps of all the data we do is, th is through Melissa. So come see her and support her at the, at the Food and Farm Forum. Our last event is one that I, I, through our program, have been able to direct through my time in extension. It's, it's an extension workshop. It's called the Western Colorado Pest Management Workshop. This is geared for commercial and private pesticide applicators that need to renew their license credits. And we offer 16 incredible speakers for folks, not only that are, of course, pesticide applicators to come attend, but master gardeners and the public is invited. If you're interested in updates in um, in the agriculture occurring in Western Colorado, please, please join us. Um, we also on, on February 20th of that event, the first day in the afternoon, 4.15, we're going to be having a Japanese beetle panel and our own Mona Dyer here of this radio <laughs> show is going to be helping to support that panel. So yeah, please come out folks and learn about all that your community and your partners here in, in Western Colorado and our state partners are, are doing to help to prevent this biology from becoming permanent. This time of year is when those of us in the industry, we get all of our book learning in. We get our, our education in because we're, 
maybe a little bit nasty to be outside. So we hit the books and we talk to each other and we do what we can to try to sort through th the issues if we can. Melissa, what else would you like to add for us today? I just want to I want to add to listeners, you know, experience here by just sharing that insects affect you no matter where you are in life. You're never six feet away from an arthropod. Um, our homes are a part of the natural ecosystem, and I, I get I get calls all the time, and I, I encourage folks to call in to CSU Extension. Um, stay curious and don't. Don't pass on an opportunity to learn about something like wildlife or an insect that you're encountering on a plant. We would love to see your photos. We'd love to engage with you at CSU Extension. We're, we're over at the fairgrounds. We have a help desk through our Master Gardener program. We have wonderful, a wonderful residential agent that's a horticulture and natural resource specialist. And we also have a commercial horticulture and natural resource specialist on top of having you know the only entomologist in the state please please come over and visit us we'd love to share with you the free services that we provide to the public and all of our resources at CSU with, with all of you I did not realize till this very day that you are the Lone Ranger I did not know that you are her there used to be a similar position an extension entomologist in the Eastern Plains and whether that position has been renewed I've had a hard time finding finding out the details of, of the counterpart position to this. But this position out here still is strongly supported by CSU, and it's because we have these wonderful, very rare crops. We're the heart of horticultural production, debatably, in one of the hubs in, in the state of Colorado where we grow our, our the sweetest peaches and the sweetest sweet corn. Um, our cash crops help to, to keep me here. I work within those industries, but I work hard to support folks out of, out of area. It's actually something I I really feel is important. We don't have an extension entomologist in, in every office. Um, there's, there's really actually only one here in Colorado. We have several on the front range that have degrees in entomology, and we've formed somewhat of a statewide working group in extension. So we have a state extension entomology team now. So we're, we're starting to get, get a good group together to hopefully solve some statewide issues in extension. Absolutely amazing absolutely amazing that's wonderful just wonderful all right well you you gave us the list of of cool stuff that's coming up in in january february we talked about the japanese beetles uh, we do expect uh, some updated information here uh, in the not too distant future as far as you know what the the plans are and and how things are going to kind of pan out for 2024 I, I did understand that um, Mesa County was uh, kicking in, I think, about, is it $300,000 this year uh, for the effort? And last March, when uh, it was initially uh, the, the effort toward eradication was spoken of, um, they, they came in with, they had, they had nothing budgeted. And so for 2024, for Mesa County to, to actually find the money and budget it for the effort, it, it sounds to me anyway like they mean it. Uh, they are, they mean it. They really do. They have supported our area by basically lifting themselves up by their bootstraps to find the money to run this very important program. It's, it's important for citizens to realize what, what they can do as well as they look ahead into this 24 season, you know, consider 
always buying your plant material from a registered nursery, working with registered landscape contractors that are vetted by the state. Us as, you know, consumers, we need to be smart about the way we spend our money. And we do have lots of folks in the Valley that are not registered. And it's important to be making sure that we buy our plant material in, in a safe way and in a means that you know, it's double checked. We, we make sure that we're not moving dangerous biology around. And moving dangerous biology, as you mentioned earlier in the program, it may have been that something was moved from an area where Japanese beetle is endemic. Please, as, as someone in the, in the green industry, please don't move plant material from the front range to Mesa County. Please don't do that. I, I just, I can't stress that enough. That's my soapbox. Don't move the plant material because the, those Japanese beetles are hitchhikers. It's, it's bad news, just bad news. All right, I believe we are coming up to the end of our program today. Our store is uh, closing for the holidays. We'll be closed through the entire month of January. We'll be doing uh, inventory staff will be attending classes and workshops we'll be going over to pro green on the front range for some education i'll be going to the soil health conference i'm excited for that and the store will reopen on february 7th melissa thank you so much for being with us today really appreciate it thanks for having me you bet